everybody. This is Elise Wickstrom and Sarah Campbell, and we are live from the past. Good afternoon, everyone. How are how are you doing? I'm good. <laughs> good. <laughs> I'm really good. It's almost Easter. It's almost Easter. It's Holy Week. It's Monday Thursday. Um, it's been a really great week for yeah. me. I'm glad. Um, do you want to give them the news? Well, how was your week first? Okay. <laughs> well, I I've had a, I've had a pretty good week. Um pretty typical not really anything to write home about other than like i like what did you yeah. just say nothing, nothing really to write, to write home, home about, about? that's yeah. cute i like that <laughs> <laughs> thank you well yeah just just very typical just a very typical like end of the semester week well i think this is one of the first weeks that you haven't said this is the most tired i've ever been <laughs> yeah so that's good yeah improvement well it might be the most tired of oh, ever there been, we go but i just have gotten <laughs> used to it at this point it just i just can't wait until like i Summer. until i can just like lay down in a bed and not feel like i have to wake up well, and what we're like do homework not even five weeks away yeah, Except you're taking, yeah. like, three summer classes, so I don't know if uh, that yeah. counts. I'm taking three summer classes, I'm doing crazy. my practicum, and I'm working 40 hours a week. You're insane. <laughs> I, that's my only response to that situation, is you're absolutely insane. You're welcome. <laughs> I Yeah, it's going to be um, a, maybe a more busy, a busier summer than the fall. That's a bit be. of an understatement. Yeah, yeah. And then the, the fall, I'm taking 17 credits, though, so. At least, yeah. I'm concerned. A lot of people are concerned. Yep. Um, well, I feel like that should tell you something. <laughs> it should, but I, I think, I will. It's what needs to happen in order for make to make my graduation plan work. Right. Unfortunately, so I'm also concerned. Just know that I am <laughs> being aware. That doesn't make it any better. I feel like. Well, it means that I can like prepare for it. You know. No. <laughs> what are you saying that I'm not going to be able to prepare for it? No, I say like I'm very concerned about this situation. <laughs> Okay. Well, I'm not concerned about your situation. Should I share the news? We should absolutely share the news if you want to. I do want to. Okay. So we've been talking for a while now on air about the study abroad program that I applied to that I didn't want to say what it was because if I didn't end up getting in, it would be super embarrassing. Yeah. But. But guess what? I found out on Tuesday night that I got in. And where are you going, Sarah? Oxford. Yeah. <laughs> you're I'm going, going to Oxford. Oxford. <laughs> Sorry for any headphone listeners right there. It's you're going to Oxford. I'm going as to Oxford. As a junior in college. I'm going to Oxford. It's con- that's going to be so much fun. It's going to be so much fun. I'm going to be studying Egyptian art and architecture, which no shock there. Yeah. I'll be working in the Ashmolean Museum. Um my second tutorial, which is basically like class, is women, gender, and print culture and Reformation England. Oh. Which ties in with what we're talking about today. Yeah, yeah, it does. Um and then my third tutorial will be Jane Austen in context. Okay. My fourth tutorial is a research seminar, which at the end I have to have a published work submitted to an academic journal. Wow. Yeah. It's like a senior paper before your senior paper. Yeah, I was just talking to Dr. Johnson, who's previously been a guest on our show, and he said basically pick a topic that you're like really in love with so then you can use all of that research to write your senior paper. But I feel like that is more intense than a senior paper because I have to publish it to oh, a journal. Oh, yeah, definitely. So, I don't know. I've been trying to wrap my mind around that. Like, do I really want that to be the same as my senior paper? Or like even... You, it seems like you have a lot going on, and, like, I don't know, 
Will you will you be okay with that much stress and pressure on you? Oh, at Oxford? Yeah. Oh. Well, <laughs> I better have to be. <laughs> Everyone who I've talked to like about this program has basically said it's the most intense ac- academic experience I've ever done, which no surprise. Mm-hmm. You're in the library for a good like 12 hours a day. Um and I basically will be stressed and lose my mind. But that excites me. Mhm. So, I think you were a very different person than I in that regard. <laughs> I think that's kind of the test of this program. Like, are you sure you want to do this? Does the feeling of being absolutely overwhelmed academically excite you? Mm-hmm. Yes. I kind of want to do this. Okay. I mean, I really want to do this. Um, <laughs> I mean, working in the Ashmolean Museum. And then, after I spend those many months in Oxford, I'll be spending a month in Egypt. After studying yeah. ancient Egypt at Oxford. That's going to be such an <gasps> enriching experience. Yeah. I'm so excited. And now I can finally talk about it. See, the reason why I'm crumbling under, like, the smallest amount of pressure here... That's not... Give (laughs) yourself some credit. This is not a small amount of pressure. Okay, yeah. But but I also, like, I... And you're also not crumbling. I am not crumbling. I am... You're thriving. Kind of thriving. (laughs) Um, I just... The thought of, like, having that amount of pressure on me, like, at Mm -hmm. any given point, even if I was doing well, is, like... I feel like that would be crippling for me. Yeah. Um, like I, I am the rare kind of person in college who doesn't work well under pressure. Hmm. Um, so like I will do it and I will get it in on time. It will just be like dispassionate. I will be like dragging my feet the whole time. Not in like a procrastination kind of way. And like, a, I don't want to do this kind of way. And like, a, I would much rather just kind of soak in the material yeah. like gradually and like not feel pressured yeah. or have a time limit on yeah. my study. Yeah. Well, something also really cool is part of the requirement of the program is I have to sit in and at least 34 random lectures. And so oh. I can go anywhere I want in Oxford in any department and just sit in on the lecture and I don't have to need do any work for it. I just have to listen, which That's awesome. is the ultimate dream. Mm-hmm. And then in my like personal tutorials, I'll be working one-on-one with an Oxford Don, which is like a teacher or a small group um, and studying when I'm studying. So, yeah. And I mentioned I applied for an internship. Um, I got in se- a second interview for it. So that's also exciting. Yeah. Exciting things are happening. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, we should anyway. probably start. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, uh, well, the women, gender, and print culture in the Reformation ties in to what we're talking about today. It does. Because today, we are talking about Queen Elizabeth I and Mary, Queen of Scots, mm-hmm. who existed during the English Reformation. And a large part of what they did was in response to the Reformation in general. So we can think about this time period here. Like, you know, we have Martin Luther, right? We think of that as the original Reformation. The English Reformation is something different. That was started by Henry VIII and his many, many wives. Mm-hmm. So the time period that we are talking about is the Elizabethan era, named after Elizabeth. Queen Elizabeth I. <laughs> um, so historians often depict this time as a golden age in English history. Uh, it's been widely romanticized in books and movies and art and um, TV and, mm-hmm. you know, all that stuff. Um, it's like, it's classic, the yeah. Shakespeare. Yes, the, Shakespeare lived during this yeah. time. Yeah. Um, it is considered to be a time of English renaissance that inspired national pride through classical ideals, international expansion, and naval triumph. 
Yes, the Spanish Armada. Spanish Armada, also time of um, American colonies being founded. So mm-hmm. Elizabeth was sending people to North America to colonize. Um, and gold had been discovered in the Americas recently, not from the English, but the from the Spanish, Spanish, which was like right. flooding into European right. um, economy. Right. So really just a time of economic boom and mm-hmm. cultural boom. Um, the English Renaissance, as we're calling it, uh, saw a flowering of poetry, music, literature, most famous for its theater. With We talked about Shakespeare lived during this time, many other playwrights during this time. Um, and English rule across the globe to the New World and all of that. Um, so looking more specifically at the English Reformation, uh, it began when Henry VIII left the Catholic Church in 1534, and it ended when Queen Elizabeth died in 1603. So the 95 Theses, the Theses, Theses. Jeez. Um, <laughs> was in 1517. And so this is a little bit after that in 1534. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it's a very yeah. small amount but, of time. Like significant enough in the lifetime of a person. Yes. And that this is different from Martin Luther and specifically only in England. Mm-hmm. So Martin Luther was what? German? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah so this is in England. So ha- have you heard the song about Henry VIII? Um, I'm not going to say which I can't which say. one about his wives. I've heard many divorced, beheaded and died, divorced, beheaded, survived. I'm Henry the eighth. I had six sorry wives. Something else <laughs> <laughs> that was anticlimactic. But that's how I remember his wives. Yeah. Yeah. So um, and uh, Henry the eighth is a really interesting figure in relation to Martin Luther because he like Martin Luther wanted access to England to flee um, from from. Germany. the Roman Catholic Church. When he was excommunicated. When he was excommunicated. And um, Henry VIII denied it because he had not, like, been, quote-unquote, reformed yet. He's sassy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's the best adjective to describe Henry VIII, but there go you off, go. <laughs> I guess. <sighs> okay, so Queen Elizabeth herself lived from 1533 to 1603, and she was the child of Henry VIII and Anne Boleyn, which was one of these six wives. Um, One of the beheaded ones. Correct. Yeah. Related to the Spencer family, as in Diana Spencer. Which, which we, we talked, talked about, about in, in the first episode, maybe? No, the um, our we e- talked about first it Egypt episode. We talked about it in incest, in the context of yeah, incest. in the Egypt episode. With Dr. Johnson. Uh, both in yeah. the Egypt episode with Dr. We've Johnson. We've talked about this and three the times. Not <laughs> Egypt episode, the Egypt episode, not with Dr. Johnson. Yes. yes, we've talked about Diana Spencer and maybe incestuous relationships with other members of the royal family. Because she's related three to times. Anne Boleyn. <laughs> Which is not It just incest, fascinates me. But <laughs> I just think that's so cool. Okay, I'm sorry. Incest is cool. No! no. <laughs> oh, God. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, please let me For go For the record, record, I don't believe that, and we don't advocate for I incest on this podcast. I thought that the relationship between Anne Boleyn and the Spencer family is cool. It is. You're correct. That's what I was trying to it's say. It's very interesting. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> You're welcome. Oh, man. Okay. So Anne Boleyn was the second wife of King Henry VIII, and the circumstances of their marriage ended with her beheading um for quote-unquote treason um and charges basically that henry the eighth made up because he wanted to divorce her but this started the political and religious upheaval that led to the english reformation because he wanted to divorce her but in the catholic church he couldn't because he didn't have like the right grounds for it mm-hmm. um he didn't have like there wasn't adultery or there was basically no reason except crime he wanted to marry his mistress right 
Well, he it, it was not necessarily that he wanted to marry his mistress, but that he wanted to marry someone who was going to give him a male heir. And right, right, he right, didn't right, realize right. that her, her, him marrying another woman wouldn't help that at all. Yeah, <laughs> he uh, had some not great luck in that era. Um, right. So sometimes Queen Elizabeth I, when she became a queen in her own right, uh, was referred to as the Virgin Queen because she never married mm-hmm. and never had kids. She was the last of the five monarchs of the House of Tudor, and she was known for establishing Protestantism in England, defeating the Spanish Armada in 1588, where she famously said, oh, what is the quote? I have the body of a weak and feeble woman, but the mind and the spirit of a soldier, mm-hmm. something like and that. And she presented herself in battle dress. Yes. Yeah. Very cool. Um, so she defeated the Spanish Armada in 1588. Maintain peace inside her previously divided country and created an environment where the arts flourished, a.k.a. Uh, Shakespeare. Um, something I particularly... We're doing a brief overview here of uh, Queen Elizabeth I and Mary, Queen of Scots, because of the relationship between the two and how that affected uh, policy, politics, religion... Um, And so looking at religion, we can look at the act of uniformity and supremacy that were passed by Queen Elizabeth I, which established the Protestant church, like the Church of England as a national church, and you were required to go. This established the Book of Common Prayer. Um, So basically, you know, act of uniformity, unifying the Church of England Mm -hmm. across England and supremacy. that being the Church of England is the only real church. Right, and Elizabeth's, like, place at the head of all of that. Mm-hmm. And so not only did that work in her favor religiously, but basically solidified her own place of power without a king. Mm-hmm. Um, so, go her. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if the the unification of church and state is something we want to advocate well, for here. Well, no, but... <laughs> Girl boss. <laughs> Hashtag um, girl boss making yourself the head of a full, fully nationalized We're not church. supporting that, but, uh, you know, she did some pretty cool things. Um, she notoriously had a sweet tooth. Just a fun fact there. Um, especially for candied violets. Violets? Violets. Candied violets. Interesting. She was known for, yeah, liking candied violets. Um, which, this eventually caused sugar cane. Like, the sugar cane caused many of her teeth to go black. Ooh. Yeah. So that's not not good. So fun, but she spoke and read at least seven languages. Mm-hmm. I did know about that. That's really cool. Um, there's an anecdote. Sorry to to bring off this subject for a second, for but it. there's an anecdote. Um, so a pi- there was a pirate queen named Grace O'Malley, um, who lived in the late 1500s, um, early 1600s, and she was brought before Queen Elizabeth's court, and she did not speak English, but she spoke Latin, French, Irish, Scottish, and many other languages. And Queen Elizabeth and her communicated not in English or in Irish, which were their native languages, but in Latin, Hmm. which is just a really interesting fact. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. Anyways, so that has a brief overview of Queen Elizabeth I, unless there's anything else you would like to add before we move on to Mary, Queen of Scots. Mm Mm-hmm. So, Mary, Queen of Scots, her she lived from 1542 to 1587. You'll notice. Kind of a shorter life here. Just and a tad. We'll <laughs> tell you why later. Um, her parents were James V of Scotland and Mary of, I think it's pronounced Guise? Mary um, of, spell it. G-U-I-S-E. 
Sure. <laughs> All right. <laughs> she was born in 1542, a week before her father, King James V of Scotland, died prematurely. Okay. So basically, within her first week of life, she came to power. Um, Though not in practical. Not, not practical. No, no, no. But in title. But yes. in title. Yeah. Um, so is Henry VIII of England's great granddaughter. Great granddaughter? I believe so. Henry VIII's great grand, but wasn't she? Weren't she and Elizabeth Cousin. very similar in age? Hold on, that doesn't make sense. Relationship <laughs> of Mary Queen. Just a quick, just a quick Google break Scots here on the pod. To Henry VIII. Oh wait, wait, okay. Mary and Elizabeth were first cousins once removed through King Henry VIII of England. Was it through blood or through marriage? Does it say? Two of Henry VIII's children. Okay, one of his... So it must have been her... I'm so confused by this. They were related. We can chalk it up to that. They were related. This says... This does say great-granddaughter. Great-grand... That doesn't make any sense. It does not make sense. Oh, great... This says great-niece. We're getting lots of different... But weren't they of a similar age? Is that yeah, not true? Yeah, they were. Then how is that even possible? I truly don't know. Okay. Well. They, um, were, they were like once removed cousins. So however that makes her related to Henry VIII. They were closely related individuals, both with a claim to the throne. Yes. That is the point. Yes, they both had a claim to the throne. Yeah. Um, Mary had a claim to the throne of both Scotland and England. Right. Mary was next in line to the English throne, mm-hmm. theoretically, um, after Henry VIII's children. Uh, so Mary was Elizabeth's cousin and heir to the English throne through her t- Tudor grandmother, Margaret, who was Henry VIII's older sister. Oh. Oh. So her grandmother was Henry VIII's older sister. So he was her great uncle. Sure. I, I swear I like, did research I really for this. I don't like that for some reason. That's really it just, disgusting. It's hard. To me. It's hard to wrap my mind around this. But she okay. So Henry the Henry the Eighth's he must have she must have been a, a very much older sister. Yeah. So Henry the Eighth's very much older sister had a daughter, presumably, or a son. Oh, daughter, da- daughter, presumably, and that daughter married James the Fifth of Scotland. And mm-hmm. they had Mary. Sure. So, so Henry VIII was her great uncle. I think so. I swear I did research. I have a whole outline, but this still doesn't make sense to me. Um, family relationship aside, what did she do? <laughs> she was executed. <laughs> <laughs> That's not something she did. No. Uh, well, she was executed, though, uh, mm-hmm. at Forthinger Hay Castle in Northamptonshire. <laughs> Northamptonshire? Northamptonshire. Uh, on February 8th, 1587, at the age of 44. Okay. So, that's why her life is so short, because she was executed by Queen Elizabeth I for a plot to take over the throne and get rid of Protestantism and bring back Catholicism, because, spoiler, Mary, Queen of Scots, was Catholic. <laughs> and Mary... Nope. Queen Elizabeth I was... Protestant. Strongly. <laughs> and that Protestantism was partially just to secure her own power. That's correct. And carry on what her father did, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, Which was also to secure his power 
and via get his a line divorce and get a divorce. Yeah, yeah. So uh, another fun fact: Queen Mary, Mary Queen of Scots, was almost six feet tall. I I love learning about women in history and then finding out they're like just so tall. Like what? <laughs> I never would have thought that. I always think wi- people in history are a lot shorter than us. Yeah, well, because you think like nutrition, nutrition wise, yeah. they would be. And then you learn. I've learned about like five women in the past like month who were six feet tall who lived wow. in like the fifteen hundreds. <laughs> Maybe Hatshepsut was six feet tall. We can never know. We don't have a mummy, right? No, we don't. No. Anyways. Anyway. <laughs> So she became the focus for the Roman Catholic Rebellion and was a continual threat to the future of Protestant England, which is why she was executed. She was declared guilty of treason in 1586 and was executed the following year. So I do want to talk a little bit about this relationship between and conflict between Queen Elizabeth I and Mary, Queen of Scots. And so I have a quote here from the Smithsonian. Uh, They said, one of the greatest battles of the late 16th century was the clash of two women who were cousins and rivals in power, Elizabeth I of England and Mary, Queen of Scots. In a world ruled by men, they took center stage in a battle to the death over a prize only one of them could claim, the throne of England. That's so dramatic. I know. I love how that's written, though. That's like an HBO blurb. I know. (laughs) That's why I wanted to share it, because I just think it's spectacular. There is a movie called Mary, Queen of Scots, that talks Mm -hmm. about this conflict. From my understanding, it's not super historically accurate. um, I've heard it's very, like, story-wise is very good. Mm. You will notice something that Queen Elizabeth I is known for is her, like, extremely white and, like, thick makeup, Mm -hmm. um, which was to cover... Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Heavily on the lead. Yeah. it was to cover up her smallpox scars okay, because when she yeah. was younger, she had smallpox. Um, but yeah, like caked on, which mm. lots of lead <laughs> in the skin. That's a lot of lead in your skin. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, but she's played by Margot Robbie in the right. movie. And, and then the- Mary Queen of Scots is played by Saoirse Ronan. Yeah. Two incredible actresses. That yeah, definitely. I- definitely approve of stamp of approval from us we give their stamp of approval even though neither of us have seen the movie i well i give my stamp of approval to saoirse ronan and margot oh, robbie okay I'll i do, do well. not give my stamp of approval to the movie because i haven't seen it yeah i have not seen it either okay so i want to talk quickly about kind of the history slash timeline of england itself to put this a bit in context also i like having a timeline just in general and so looking at the monarchy of England, we can start with the Anglo-Saxons. And we're just going to go through this quickly so we can go back to talking about Mary, Queen of Scots, and Queen Elizabeth I. But we go from the Anglo-Saxons to, hold on, to the Normans. So this is like William I, William II, Henry I. And then The Henry, Norman invasion. Yeah. Henry II starts the plot. Plantagenets? Plantagenets. 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 I Thank love you. them. So oh this gosh. is Henry the Second, Richard the First, John, just King John, just John. Richard the <laughs> Second, Henry the Fourth, Henry no Henry the Third, Henry the Fourth, Henry the Fifth. Good job. Um, and then Richard the th- uh, Henry the Sixth, and then Richard the Third. You missed Edward the Fourth. Oh yes. shoot! Yes, Edward the Fourth. Oh, he was in between. Um, Richard the Richard. Mm, Henry the the sixth and Richard the third. Yeah, it ends with Richard the third, and Mm -hmm. then we go into the Tudors, which starts with Henry the sixth, no seventh, 
Henry the Seventh. Mm-hmm. Henry the Seventh and Henry the Eighth. And then you have Henry the Eighth, who has the six wives. I don't think we have a Henry after the Eighth. No I'm one wants sure. to go after him. No one wants to go after Henry um, the Eighth. And then from Henry the Eighth, we go to Edward the Sixth, who was crowned king at the age of nine. And then he dies very young, doesn't he? Fifteen, possibly from tuberculosis. Oh, so that's from, a nasty way. Yeah. But very young, yes. Mm-hmm. And then it goes to Mary the first. And how does how does she lose the throne? So she this is Bloody Mary that we're talking about. Oh, okay. So she marched an army to London to claim the throne and became England's first undisputed female ruler. She tried to establish Roman Roman Catholicism in England and was nicknamed Bloody Mary for having uh, 300 Protestants uh, burned at the stake. So, That's right. There you go. I've read about them in Fox's Book of Martyrs. Sounds like a fun time. Which was written during this time because of that event, actually. And then we have Queen Elizabeth I. Mm -hmm. And she ends the Tudor age um, and establishes Protestantism. She defeats... The Spanish Armada, um, yeah, and handles the English Navy. And then she she's succeeded by her cousin James, correct? James the first, yes. And so then we go into the line of the Stuarts. Mm-hmm. So she is the end of the Tudors, and then we go into the Stu- Stuarts, which is James the first, Charles the first, Charles the second, James the second. All the Georges. Uh, actually. Oh. All the Georges are House of Hanover. Oh, that's so disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anne, after the act of union, mm-hmm. Anne is the last of the uh, Stuarts. So then we go into the House of Hanover with George the First, okay. George the Second, George the Third, George the Fourth. Mad jo- King George. <laughs> yes, and then that ends. And then the we are in the modern Hanover era right? with Victoria, mm-hmm. um, who. Who then? Who is then succeeded by George the Fourth, and then well, Edward and George the Fifth? No, Victoria no? ends the House of Hanover, and then we go into the House of Saxe, Coburg, and Gotha, mm-hmm. which is just one ruler. Is that that's Edward, right? Edward the Fifth, Sixth, Seventh, Seventh. Edward the Seventh. Okay. And then we go into the House of Windsor. Which is what we're currently Wait, in. Wait, may I may I see that chart for just a minute? Yes. Because I, I, we, we've, Hold the on. Georges, we skipped two Georges. I may not have said all of them, but then we go into George V, who starts ah, the House yes. of Windsor. And then the abdication, which was mm-hmm. Edward the, what, eighth? Eighth, who um, abdicated. And then George the Six, who... George the Sixth was, was Queen, oh, Elizabeth Queen Elizabeth's father. The second George the Fifth was the World War One king. Um, I, I'm good now. Oh, okay. um, the reason why I knew all of the House of Plantagenet, almost of all of the House of Plantagenet, was because of because Shakespeare wrote a whole series of plays just on each of the kings. <laughs> well, okay then. Yeah. Um, go read that on your own time. Yeah. I would say. Go read that. They're hilarious. They're very good. Um, uh, Tom Hiddleston plays Henry V in one of them. <laughs> um, very good. Anyway. So something that is interesting about the movie is it depicts, like, their relationship, right? Mary, Queen of Scots, and Queen Elizabeth I. Mm-hmm. But they there is no record of them ever meeting each other. Okay. There is, like, immense record of their correspondence and kind of their agitation and, I mean... Anger with one another. Yeah, conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, but they there's no record that they ever met each other. 
they were ruling from separate places and um even when she was executed i mean there's no record that queen elizabeth was actually there when she was when mary queen of scots was executed what would the impetus have been for the for them to meet conflict (laughs) i mean the movie depicts them like fighting Mm -hmm. like queen elizabeth on one side mary queen of scots Mm -hmm. on the other armies behind them and a full-on fight Mm -hmm. that never happened i can see that being played off as um as the writers wanting to visually like show show the fact that they are fighting even though it's their armies fighting you can't just have the ones who are fighting i'm mad at you writing in letters for a whole movie it (laughs) it makes sense to have them be physically visibly there right um not as like to trying to change history but more trying to explain it through visual medium yeah yeah so basically talking about this idea of claim to the throne and the conflict between them of who has the claim to the throne the conflict between catholicism and protestantism is what this conflict can be boiled down to we don't want to oversimplify it but Mm -hmm. i mean we're looking at catholic protestantism oh also a lot of the northern ireland conflict like stems of this can be drawn from oh yeah particular like this foundation of catholicism versus protestantism that's that's i would not i would not say that like this whole conflict is can be boiled down to just catholicism versus oh yes yeah definitely not um because there's there's i don't know there's just so much more complexity complexity to um to any religious conflict than just religion but it's definitely part of it and then also definitely you have the claim to the throne so this Mm -hmm. political element of claim to the throne on both sides of elizabeth wants the throne mary wants the throne um they want their personal lines of family to have claim to the throne Mm -hmm. even though queen elizabeth dies with the house of uh the tudors but um yeah so we talked about how they're related and kind of the background of this conflict so mary was forced to abdicate the scottish throne so her one-year-old son wait yeah mary was forced to abdicate the throne in scotland right Mm -hmm. um in order for her son to take power, if I'm understanding this correctly. Um, yes. And so... Yes. So, um, <laughs> this is the time This is the time period where Scotland and England aren't yet unified. Right. That doesn't happen until um, much, like, recent. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know when. It's, like, yeah, late 1700s, right? Uh, or something along those lines. UK. Maybe I'm totally wrong. I don't know. I don't know. 1922. What? Yeah. Really? It was after like World War One. I, I thought that the act of unification between. Are you talking about the United Kingdom? Yeah. The, the well, creation of the UK happened. Oh wait. The Kingdom of Great Britain. The Kingdom of Great Britain was 1707. Okay, 1707. That's that was more close. That was closer to the date I was thinking of. Yes. 17 because i like the uk the united kingdom is is not like the modern entity of the united kingdom is not necessarily what i was thinking okay of. Yeah. it was then like, your date yeah. that you're looking for i think is 1707 1707 okay. which still is relatively very recent. recent and much later than like 200 years later than the time period that we're talking oh, yeah. about right now yeah. so um do you think this was one of well it probably was one of the the uh <laughs> one of the sort of checkpoints factors. and factors into creating that unification 
Yes, mm-hmm. definitely. I mean, the political element of that is significant to that conversation of mm-hmm. unification and um, religious unification as well within that. Um, sure. And it took a, a long time for Scotland to fully become Protestant, too. Um, yeah. Which they aren't well, fully, but like are are significantly more Protestant than Catholic by the end of the 1700s, at least. Yes. Um, yeah. So Mary Stuart, right, mm-hmm. who was Mary Queen of Scots. Mm-hmm. Um, and the House of Stuart, I mean, does come right after Queen Elizabeth the First. So she ends the House of Tudors, and Mary is a Stuart. And so technically her line does continue. So. But it's also... Uh, yeah, yeah. But, it, it, I mean... Elizabeth uh, was all right with the Stuarts succeeding her, too. Um, yes? Question mark? Because I know that she named James as her heir. James the First. James the First. Because he was the Scottish king. He became the king of England. Mm-hmm. He was the Scottish king. And so he became the king of England after Elizabeth's death. Mm-hmm. And he survived the gunpowder plot of 1605 and was responsible for the first anti-tobacco publications. The gunpowder plot. I did not know that that was connected to him. Yes. Cool. Gunpowder plot, for anyone who's listening who doesn't know what the gunpowder plot is, um, uh, Guy Fox, some other people, uh, some Catholic dissenters plant uh, barrels of gunpowder underneath the houses of parliament and are and try to blow them up they are caught before they can put those uh, light those explosives and are executed and now there's a whole day called guy fox day where you burn an effigy of the man who was caught basically a failed assassination attempt yeah a failed assassination james the first um, but also it, the rest of the houses of parliament too right but it's important to note like the people who the like conspiracy group were roman English Roman Catholics. Yes, yes. And so they wanted to blow up Parliament and Catholic King dissenters. James yeah. the First and his eldest son and his wife. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, you know, warfare was brutal. <laughs> Is brutal. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, that's a little. Anyways, so as a Protestant, Queen Elizabeth I faced many threats from the English Catholicism faction, which favored a rival claim to the throne, which was Mary, Queen of Scots. And so Mary, Queen of Scots, did have that support behind her for many of the English people, which gave her kind of the motivation that she needed to confront Queen Elizabeth I in that way and claim her claim to the throne. Um, Because Catholicism was still the majority sect in most of Europe. Right. So it was hugely unpopular when Mm -hmm. Protestantism was enforced in this way. They measured, like, church attendance, and you would be fined if you didn't attend the Church of England on Sundays. That... That is not surprising to yeah. me. <laughs> I mean, they had to enforce this new religion some way. Yeah. They weren't just going to have massive, oh, let's all change what we're doing in life. Yeah. So. <laughs> Things like this happen when the church and the state are buddy-buddy. <laughs> yeah, that could be a whole other episode. <laughs> separation of church and state. Let's let's get let's get someone on talking about tr- separation of church and state. I mean, actually, I would like to talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the customary, we should talk about that sometime. Ah, there we go. <laughs> so Mary Stuart, Mary Queen of Scots, refused to... Tr- 
refused to ratify the Treaty of Edinburgh, um, which we can talk about that a little bit, the Treaty of Edinburgh. Um, let's see. Treaty of Edinburgh, Mary Stuart. So this basically was a treaty that was between the commissioners of the Queen of Commissioners of Queen Elizabeth I of England to assert the Scottish Lords of Congregation and the French, whatever the French are called. The French? French representatives. We'll just mm. go with French representatives. To formally conclude the Siege of Leith. Um, and there is this alliance with France and the Anglo-Scottish Accord. So maintaining peace between England, France, and Scotland. And looking at the French and English troops in Scotland. Um, and so Queen Mary, Queen of Scots, refused to sign this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so terms of the treaty were interesting. So it was arranged by Fran- France and England and talking about their land and their naval forces within Scotland. Um, yeah. So it was very significant that she did not sign this. Mm-hmm. So... Um Talking about what a future between France and England would look like. Right. Um, Again, yeah, going back to this Catholic versus Anglican idea with the relationship between France um, is important. Mm -hmm. France gets itself involved in a lot of um, in in a lot of situations that England, where England is dissenting with a country very uh, close to it. Yes. Also. Queen Mary, husband, her husband, mm-hmm. was King Francis II of France. Oh, correct? okay. Okay. Is that correct? I, I didn't know that. Um, well, because since Mary had not produced an heir, the French crown passed to the king's brother. And so, yeah, looking at the French crown and the relationship of Scotland to France versus marriage. Mm. Um, right. Um, it's interesting because around this time, if we're talking about the relationship with France, um, interesting that during this period, um, remember Shakespeare talking about Henry V and how that was also during this period. Um, Henry V is about the Hundred Years' War and um, when when English troops took over France. And it's sort of about the subjugation of the French and um, and like very anti-French and um it's interesting how that might reflect sort of a cultural backdrop that's going on at this time but of um like commenting on the relationship current relationship between England and France um during Elizabeth's reign Hmm. yes and so yeah they're looking at like what it means to have a traditional alliance with France and um like this treaty from Catholic opposition um breaking the match with France. Uh, so basically, given her youth and gender, because uh, Queen Mary was rather young mm-hmm. during all of this. Not that Queen Elizabeth I wasn't, but... Um, so the Scottish nobility decided that they had to make peace with England because Mary was a woman and was not capable because of her gender, which, well, you know my thoughts on that. <laughs> um, and so they agreed that she should marry Henry VIII's son, Edward the Sixth. Wasn't she already married? I don't know if she was at this point. I think we may have gone back. Okay. 
I think I may have just confused myself. Well, in any case, there was a marriage proposed. Right. So that they would unite the two crowns. Denied. Denied. Okay, Um, makes sense. (laughs) That checks out. Right. And so, I mean, all of this, like, her refusal to communicate and to align with England and the English leadership and what everyone was telling her to do led to her, like, uh, accusations 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 thank you (laughs) of treason um which eventually i mean led to her execution but Mm. she fled south after all this happened she escaped um only to be defeated in like this battle called the battle of lang lang side near glasgow um in scotland and so she believed at this time that queen elizabeth I would support her but instead she was imprisoned for 19 years Oh my gosh, that's a long time. Well, think about it. She's also Especially only before forty-four when yeah. she was executed. So that's oh, like my—that's like half almost her life. half of her life. What? Okay, so let me let me really quick do just a, a tiny little calculation here okay, to see how old she it. was when she was <laughs> imprisoned. She was twenty-five years old. Yeah, that's gotta suck. <laughs> oh my gosh, that puts a lot of things into perspective, actually. Yeah. Um. Yeah, 19 years she was imprisoned. Uh, in the Tower of London, is that correct? Um, yes, in the Tower of London. And that's what it's famous for. And you can visit the Tower of London now. Mm-hmm. How fun. Um, I That's distressing. Yes. <laughs> so in wrapping up these rather cheery conversations. We, so this has been sort of a scatterbrained We're episode, so sorry. But, but it's, it was enjoyable for me, at least. I think that can at least comment on how complicated and confusing and scattered this conflict was. Mm -hmm. Because you have all these different things happening at different times, in different places, in Scotland, in England, in France. um, All just in a hubbub. Very confusing. I mean, you have the conflict between Mary, Queen of Scots, and Queen Elizabeth I, who, like, Mary thought she'd be her ally and wasn't. This was a chaotic conversation, and we really could do five episodes on this to really get into detail but this is your basic chaotic overview of it and Mm -hmm. we're sorry for the chaos it's okay i mean i'm Um, fine with it (laughs) but like i think that the chaos elevates the history in some ways there you go it just shows how chaotic the conflict itself was yeah and uh then it ended with mary stewart being imprisoned for 19 years and being executed when she was 44 (laughs) so on that chap happy cheery note just put a pin in that i guess um yeah, I guess oh, yeah. we'll both have to watch that movie at some point and see what we feel about... Well, here's mm-hmm. the thing. The whole movie is about them interacting, and they never met in person. Mm-hmm. So... It's a metaphor. Sure. It's it's <laughs> what would have happened. No, I, I, I agree that's kind of sketchy, but also, like... It doesn't get hugely wonderful reviews, the movie, okay. but I really like the actors in it. Yeah. I know that... Uh, there, I, there are performances I've seen from it, like on clips on YouTube or whatever. Yeah, that are that are beautiful. Well, they also show Queen but... Elizabeth the first like insanely heavy makeup. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine having to like be in that for hours a day. I mean, imagine obviously, Margot Robbie would not have the lead in hers, but she'd no. have to depict that. Yeah. Mm. Anyways, um, so uh, for next. Uh, in two weeks from now, we have another guest. I think that's just a week from now, isn't it? Or is it um, two weeks? He, no, he, um, there, there were ah, extenuating right. circumstances next week. Um, so we're going to have... Uh, two weeks. 
and a very special guest to talk on to talk about the Boer Wars. This in two is weeks. on April twenty eighth. April twenty eighth, um, and then next week, Sarah will take the lead again, I suppose, because sure. Um, then that would even out the episodes. Um, so, yeah, this has been Elisa and Sarah. This has been live from the live past. From the past. Oh wait, wait. Before we go. Wow, this is scattered. I'm so sorry. We're very scattered. We're about to leave for break. We just did our outro, and we have more to talk about. That's okay. We have questions from Instagram, right? Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) That's so stressful. embarrassing. (laughs) I'm so sorry. Like, as soon as I said live from the past, as soon as that exited my mouth, I was like, oh, no. I remember seeing that we had Instagram questions today. This makes me... Okay. What does it mean for these two individuals to be proto-feminists? They were not. Well, here's the thing. The term feminism is a bit of an anachronism Mm -hmm. when you're talking about people before, like, the 1900s, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Or, like, well, even proto-feminism would be an anachronism before the mid-1800s. Well, okay. Around this time is also, like, Anne Hutchinson. Well, she's a bit later than this, but she's often called a proto-feminist, right? And I have some problems with that as well. Um, But just in the sense of they were strong female leaders in their own right, sure. They did not want equality with men, though. Right. And if that's what you're looking for when you mean by proto-feminist, I don't know if you could call them that because they weren't actively seeking equality. They were just seeking power and control. They were incidentally on an equal with some men. Right. They were feminists not by their own choosing. It's kind of how, like, um, Margaret Thatcher mm-hmm. did not believe that women should be in politics and in power, yet she was. Therefore, she was acting within feminist ideals, but not actively promoting them. And that's and we see that in the writings of Elizabeth I as well. Correct. Um, and then also, it's I like confusing. It's it's <laughs> stressful to me. Not stressful. It's. I think it's actively harmful to paint like these like very strong women who are powerful um with the same brush as women who committed atrocities mm. and elizabeth the first and mary stewart and Ma- bloody mary were women who committed atrocities oh yeah they were not no good people right yeah and it's hard for me to be like oh they were proto-feminist when i don't want to claim them they are strong and violent in the ways that they claim to their power exactly we can say that. and that's However, not true to the spirit of feminism it's not true to the spirit no. of like empowering actual women power. yeah yeah um like that's that's violence that's not power we can still look to them as being very interesting women mm-hmm. who executed power <laughs> maybe execute is the wrong word <laughs> <laughs> yikes who um who exercised were, exercised there we go exercised their capacities yeah, and showed that women were capable, yeah. but in violent and extreme ways. Yeah, that does not mean that they are they should be role models or even celebrated. Exactly. In any way. I feel like when yeah. we say the term proto-feminism, that means that we're looking to them as role models when we necessarily shouldn't mm-hmm. do that. Whereas with Anne Hutchinson, I think that you can look for yeah. a role model. Yeah, that's a different conversation. I would agree though. with that. Um, we we can do a whole episode on was what? Anne Hutchinson a feminist? <laughs> well, yeah, I'm writing a rather lengthy paper right now on Anne Hutchinson um, and doing some in-depth research, so maybe that could be next week's. Yeah, that would be awesome. That. I would yeah. really appreciate that. All right. Um, yeah. That was the only question we had today. 
Well, I'm glad because we do need to wrap up now. Both of us are leaving um, <laughs> yeah. for Easter. So. Um, so let's do our outro again. This has been wow. Elise <laughs> and Sarah. <laughs> and we have been live from the past. Thank you so much. Have a great whatever time it is where you're at. <laughs> have a great week. We'll see have you next week. week. See you next week. Nothing but you